Hello and welcome to the Blues Guitar Show podcast with me, Ben Martin, from thebluesguitarshow.com. Apologies for missing last week's episode. As some of you might have known, I was away visiting family back in Greece and getting married. So I was a little, a little bit preoccupied last week. But this week I have a wicked episode. I'm talking with Dylan Asina, who is a fantastic virtuosic guitarist who has an excellent, excellent Instagram page, website and YouTube channel that I thoroughly recommend anyone looking to learn the guitar goes over and follows. So here is my interview with Dylan. Enjoy. Okay, well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your, what I'm guessing is very, very busy week to speak to us. It's, um, it's really great to have you. Well, it's great to be here. Fantastic. So where would you like to um, set off with the guitar ideas, the musical ideas today? Yeah, so I think what would be cool, because uh, I'm used to sort of speaking to um, performers, players in bands and stuff, and I really it's a great opportunity to be able to speak to somebody else who's not only a musician, but also kind of an educator and somebody who teaches as well. Um, the way I came across you was actually through your Instagram. Yes. Um, so for people that don't know, you've got a wicked Instagram with loads and loads of great information. And uh, do, do you do that daily? That yes. Day? So it's, I, I try and release a video of some sort every day. So it's either going to be a something of like, some kind of value in it, so some kind of exercise or an idea around the guitar, or occasionally I pepper in a bit of my own playing to just say um, it, it works. Look, it, 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 it does actually work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think it, uh, it looks and it sounds incredible. One of the best, one of the most notable things about your uh, your Instagram feed is that the quality of the audio and video is fantastic, which makes it really easy to sort of sit and scroll through. That's always good to know. Yeah. Um, so I think it'd be cool. I definitely want to get your um, input on sort of teaching, but if you could just start off by telling me how you came about picking up the guitar and your kind of your journey with learning the guitar up to this point. Oh, well, so starting the guitar was slightly random situational. So my father used to, well, I wouldn't say play the guitar in a um, full, like, full sense professionally, but he he strummed around with a few songs that kind of had a guitar that he'd occasionally, occasionally play on. And I'm pretty sure this is when I was like eight years old. So the memory isn't amazingly good, but I'm pretty sure at some point the idea went around the family with me and my brothers of at that age, would it be a good idea to pick up playing a musical instrument? And my elder brother had picked the guitar. My guess is that's because my father was playing it. He wanted to give it a try. My younger brother ended up playing the piano and I didn't know what to pick. So I just went along with the guitar. It was, it was one of those decisions that you kind of tag along when you're eight years old, see how, see how it goes. So that was the, the very origin of it. Started with classical kind of learning on that side and as you progress, this is a fascinating thing in music. It's got so many different sides to it. There's the performance side. There's the like composing, songwriting, that kind of expression side. A lot of people use it almost like writing a journal. And then there are some other sides, like the the technical, the teaching side. The so it almost doesn't matter who you are in that sense. There's some side of that that you you end up fitting into it, like water finding its own level. Mm. So through studying the guitar, I got kind of obsessed with technique. 
and how it works. Mainly because there were so many contradictions. So like many people, I wanted to push the speed, push the difficulty. Then in jazz guitar, blues guitar, electric, classical, each one says, no, this is how you hold it. This is the hand position. And I thought they can't all be right. At best, one of them's right. Chances are they're all wrong because your hands are the same. Your hands haven't changed. How can there be such a variety? So I found that I actually wasn't much of a uh, expressive musical player. So I wasn't in guitar because I enjoyed that artistic expressive side. I developed that through years of performing and so on, but it wasn't me and kind of my root. So I started studying the guitar in that sense, trying to break down all of these contradictions and say, actually, what is it? So Mm. if we break it down to the fundamentals, the scientific side of it, can we actually understand the technique in a way that makes it really accessible for people? So they don't have that whole contradictions back and forth, different people contradicting with between styles often. So that's what brought me kind of into the the education space that those unanswered questions that kept on spinning around yeah that's really interesting so when you um when you started learning guitar was it predominantly classical is that where you started yes it was predominantly classical and um after ooh must have been 5 6 years maybe a bit longer i then got an electric guitar started playing around with that and as you perform in different styles. So I've performed in almost everything apart from bluegrass. It's like from opera through to kind of like gothic metal stuff. So bluegrass oh, is the one I need to get into. Those two aren't as as you think sometimes. <laughs> no, they're not actually. So especially if you take uh, like some of the patterns you get in like Vivaldi or Bach or yeah. something, it's like so similar. Um, so blues and jazz are going to be a lot further from that, that mm-hmm. type of style. Um Absolutely. So I've done the full circle, but I definitely started in the classical tradition. So how did you, because I, I didn't start classically trained. I think I did a year of classical guitar before I then moved on to bass. And I spent most of my sort of, uh, most of my musical education was on bass and then later on acoustic guitar and um, studied music at university. But I didn't come from a classically trained background. How did you find the transition from classical guitar technique wise to playing electric? I mean, did you, did you start playing the electric with, you know, f- with your fingernails? Is it like that? <laughs> I mean, I didn't have any lessons initially on different styles, like electric or so on. So a lot of it was, uh, I mean, this is when YouTube was in its early days. So you'd get like the G3 tours. As I love those with yep. Satriani and Vi and so on. And you try and zoom in on their hands all five pixels of the hand and try and see what's happening. And so that's kind of how I learned. I kind of look at these players who I knew were technically very good Mm. because I always say there's a difference between very famous and very accomplished. And there are a lot of famous players who I'd say, do not, do not copy their technique that, you know, it's going to go wrong, but Vi Satriani and those guys on the electric guitar. Awesome. So Yes, I started with like fingers on the guitar and you suddenly go, yeah, that that doesn't fit. Yeah, I'm going to have to find out what's happening here. So so left hand, very similar 
few tweaks you can make to it just for the strings. Right hand is quite different, of course, with mm-hmm. the pick and so on. And when you start in your kind of early stages of playing guitar, were you interested in contemporary music? Like, did you make a connection between the music you were learning on the guitar and the contemporary music you liked? Or were you listening to classical music? What was that like? Well, so this is an interesting one because however much I love classical music and the, as far as technique goes on the instruments, that's definitely the one of the most accomplished areas in studying that. But they have some serious drawbacks. And one of them is... So, for instance, a bit of a story. I won't put any names in here, of course, but some when I was studying at university, this was the Royal College of Music. It was considered like absolute top for classical guitar at the time, and there were people who were who were playing guitar there who couldn't strum a guitar <laughs> because in classical music, if you strum a guitar, it's looked down on. You're, you're not someone who strums a guitar. You're a classical player. So there's a very kind of snooty sa- side to it. When I brought an electric guitar into the university, I got some some quite kind of snide comments from people of, you know, kind of, oh, we thought you were better than that type mm-hmm. approach. So on one side, absolutely amazing level people get on the classical guitar on the flip side, they are really close-minded in in those ways. So you will have people pick up a Spanish piece of music and lots of strumming there, and they 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 can't strum. They've never done it before, even at that standard, having got into the Royal College of Music. So not at all dissing the standard of the college. Absolutely world-class, but it's mm. when it comes to cross-style and how people try and niche down in one area, it is something that stands out there. Yeah, that's so really interesting. That was definitely a bit of a barrier to break through. Mm, Essentially, sure. look at everyone and say, I don't care. I've got a steel string guitar. I've got an electric guitar. And say what you like. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. So when you were young, was it, um, what was the kind of music that kind of first, what first turned you on to music? What, what kind of players? Oof. I'm just interrupting this episode to let you know about the Blues Guitar Show Plus membership. Plus members get access to weekly lessons each Friday complete with tabs and downloads. For just $5 a month, you'll get instant access to nearly a year's worth of guitar lessons covering finger picking, fretboard theory, soloing, improvising, slide and much, much more. If you're tired of bouncing around on YouTube trying to pick up bits of information from here and from there and you find it hard to commit to regular lessons, this is for you. Details of how to join are in the description below. Now back to the episode. It was quite a mix of old music because I had my parents' old record player and it was whatever LPs were there. So I remember there was um, Sky. That was uh, John Williams' old band, the Mm -hmm. like 80s synth type stuff with guitar in it there. Um, Things like the uh, LP for the theme music for Caravans, the the movie. <laughs> there was some Queen, there was some, like a, a mix of those things. So it wasn't 
as directly a choice as much as just what what am i next pulling out of these lbs but most of them were that kind of era that that Mm -hmm. style which is a great time for the guitar because that's when the music was a lot more instrument driven Mm. rather than computer production or when there's an instrument it's a basic riff that's like repeated a hundred times over absolutely i mean a queen are a great example of that because so many of those songs are constructed uh like musical theater songs are constructed yeah. you know they're they're complex they have they almost you know some of them have different movements within them and it's something that you really don't see in modern music and certainly in the kind of contemporary music that uh would be teaching these days it's, it's yes. something that's quite lacking and with freddie mercury being a lot along the opera singing line a lot of his heroes in the vocal area were opera singers mm. so that along with the other players he had like really brought forward that side mm. and it was a bit of the era with the um like with pink floyd making their albums that were one big yeah, the like, concept album for a story so that brought in a lot of those elements as well yeah and that seems to have uh, disappeared in the tiktok world i guess unsurprisingly <laughs> like 10 seconds for a song that's it hook <laughs> yeah. and you're done do you ever get students asking you to learn songs that they've seen on things like tiktok yes there are <laughs> the weirdest one i've had so i anytime i'm teaching i like to choose songs that they know they they aspire to play because almost any song you can rewrite you can simplify in some way you don't have to play the guitar part Mm-hmm. play a bit of the vocals play even just the bass note of the chord now you've got one note per bar but you can then still play along with the song you you love so i'd ask people so what what songs are you listening to this was a young girl who i was teaching um do you have any favorite songs you want to try she says yes yes there's this one that i really want to have a go at. Like, i'm like perfect because a lot of the time people go oh i don't know so you have to pull something up so she goes oh perfect i've got this this one i want to try what she pulled up was do you know the movie brave with the, the disney one movie, of the pixar yeah. ones yes it, it's it. either disney Pixar, i can't remember one of them and there are the wisps in the in the woods like these little ghost things and they just make these little ghost sounds like going through the woods that's what she wanted to do on the guitar <laughs> i love it I now, the guitar like, a, like a foley artist yes <laughs> But there was no uh, way I could arrange that onto the guitar. <laughs> Ghost-like general noises. That's brilliant. Yeah, um, I mean, some of them are I, quite often. I mean, I've been teaching. Um, uh, I teach mostly adults, but I've been, I have taught kids um, on and off for probably 10 years. And uh, some of the things like, I want to learn this song. And you put on this song and you go, this is, this is just drums and vocals. And the vocals are wrapped. Like, if it's wrapped, you often have two notes. So as yeah. soon as you get someone to hum the note, mm. it's just going to be like da 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 Like you've got this yeah. one note that changes. And I always show that and say, we can do this, but you are basically going to have two notes. And yeah. 95% is just the one note. Like, yeah. The other is exactly. a token extra note that pops in. But no, you do yeah. get that a lot. When you're learning to play any music distinguishing what's the rhythm from the melody from the words because when the words make it interesting take those away and often the melody and the 
rhythm aren't going to really hold up on their own. Mm. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. That yeah, happens absolutely. quite quite a lot. <laughs> it's one of those things. So uh, this has kind of brought us already onto teaching, which is great. Um, what is your kind of split initially between styles of music you teach? Do you teach the guitar as one instrument and you give options for learning different things? Do you teach classical guitar lessons separate to electric or steel string? How does your teaching world work? So most of the students I have are, they have one that they're trying to push forward but then they're going to have a few other guitars. So they might have an electric guitar somewhere, acoustic guitar, classical, and they've got one as their predominant one, but what they often come seeing one of the others is a bit of a guilty pleasure in it. So mm-hmm. how I teach comes back to the idea of how does your, how do your hands and your body work biomechanically in relation to the guitar? So if you look at the different types of guitar, so electric, acoustic, classical, the dimensions are 99% the same. So still got the neck, the strings, the tuning's pretty much the same. The neck might be a few millimeters narrower, a little bit thinner, but there aren't enough differences to make a fundamental difference to the technique. So how I generally approach it is by understanding how your body works in relation to the guitar, then you can pick up any type of guitar you like. Mm. There will of course be differences in when you're talking style in the sound you want to create, but very little of that is down to the technique. So what I tend to find is you can teach the fundamentals on any of the types of guitar. And if they're approached in that kind of base scientific manner, then it'll split between all of them quite comfortably. Mm. And if there is a difference between them, there's a very reasoned, um, like a reason behind why, a logical reason for why you'll have a slight shift in your technique for the next one. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Do you subscribe to the idea that... um, beginner players should start on a nylon string so acoustic strings as you'll have be completely familiar with can wreck your fingertips if you've got like high gauge strings Mm -hmm. so nylon strings are comfortable electric guitar strings are also quite low tension in comparison to Mm. acoustic so often it goes if you're talking just string tension it's kind of electric classical then acoustic Mm. but then often i find the amount of gear needed for electric guitar unless someone is like yeah i'm learning rock that's that's what i want they want the stop stomp boxes the whole thing that gets in the way of a lot of people playing They just won't pick it up because there's too much to set up the amplifiers, the everything else. So nylon string can be a great way if you just pick it up, play. The tension feels good. It sits on your lap nicely. Like electric guitars can slide around a lot easier. So I would say it's the easiest to pick up in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I so I quite often sort of have the opinion that if young people, especially if they really want to learn electric guitar, 
they should start on electric guitar. Yeah. You know, if they if they want to emulate people that play electric guitar, going, oh, this is a Spanish guitar and it sounds completely different to the thing that yeah. you want to learn, you know, it kind of makes sense. But I do um, sometimes feel very sorry for students of mine that come in with steel string acoustics as their first instrument. And I think, well, that's, yeah. that's going to hurt, you know? <laughs> I mean, even even when I'm learning a song for steel string, if I'm needing to put a few hours into the song, I'll do it on the um, classical guitar. Do you find that that's an easy transition? Because to me, I, I don't, um, I don't, I do have a nylon string guitar, but I don't play a lot of classical. Um, but when I pick up nylon string, I find the string spacing. It kind of throws me right off. You know, the string yeah, it is a bit wider, isn't it? It's yeah, and it kind of it takes me a good five minutes to get used to it, and then to readjust to the, uh, to the yeah. I mean, I play a resonator at the moment. I think you probably see it in the background. Yeah, here. awesome very, very, guitar there. Very, very, thank you. Very, very tight tension uh, and very um, small string spacing on that instrument. Yeah. So it makes so the string spacing on the classical guitars where you really see the reason for it is when you get into the heavier classical music. Mm. That extra bit of space for like pull-offs in the middle of a chord or something like that, you suddenly realize, yeah, I kind of need that extra bit of space. For most music, extra spacing in that sense doesn't make a major difference. Yamaha mm. actually makes some classical guitars with the width of a acoustic mm. guitar. So you can kind of swap between them a lot easier. That's cool. And the Taylor electric guitar I use, they've stopped making them now, but they specifically had the same dimensions as their acoustic guitar. So when I'm on stage and I'm flipping between the two guitars, like you say, the, the few minutes of trying to get used to it, because they pair up so nicely, then you can swap between them. So mm. there are some classical guitars out there with that narrow narrow neck, but yeah, they aren't as common to find. And yeah. Yamaha, there's like slightly higher range for a beginner guitar in that sense. Mm. So you just touched actually on your performing. Talk a little bit about your the performing that you do. Oh, so not doing any performing at the moment kind of mm. post lockdowns and so on that hasn't i haven't gone back into that i at one stage was of course did the whole classical recital style like full hour of that side and then i was playing in there was about three three four bands at the same time <laughs> this is when i was in london we're doing like between three and five gigs a week and a oh it was awesome so yeah well i wasn't organizing the the venues or anything so it's just turn up play play the set that's the best isn't it yeah well <laughs> apart from carrying the gear on the um, public transport yeah. <laughs> that's an absolute nightmare so so that got a lot of mileage kind of under the belt with some venues being awesome others being a mess like all their di boxes don't work you're you end up doing the the sound engineer part because the guy at the desk has no clue what they're doing um so there's been quite a range mm. so when you were playing in kind of uh, bands what 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 style was was that oh so that was from like the kind of gothic metal thing i was saying earlier too mm. there was a country blues but more on the kind of bluesy side of that um there was a band that was kind of synth 80s synth 
rock style. And my job in that one was basically make it uh, possible to be on stage because so many of the sounds are produced. Mm. It doesn't fit on stage and get a good reaction that well. So by bringing in a guitar, making it slightly more rocky on that side makes it a good live performance. A bit like Pink does with her, um, like her Funhouse tour. Mm. Turned it from very much produced, like popular music into old school Led Zeppelin style rock side to it. Yeah, that's really cool. I say, so that's really varied. I mean, in terms of guitar styles that you play, that's that's pretty much. I mean, is there any are there any guitar styles you don't touch or you've never never tried? Bluegrass is the only one. It's not technically a guitar style. That's more banjo, I guess, but it's one that I definitely have to find some some things to get into with that. So, is, I mean, I could definitely give you some recommendations there. Is that because of the flat picking aspect? Is real music dying? What even is real music and who are we to judge that? Well, my father is a lifelong musician and together we've been making music for over a decade. In our new podcast, we dare to ask the urgent, the weird and the deep questions. And we have a lot of wild stories to tell. No matter what genres you enjoy, whether you're a musician, a producer or a listener, we invite you to discover unconventional perspectives on music. So tune in and go follow Mad Makings of Music wherever you listen to podcasts. No, it's just, it, that's just been something for whatever reason, it just hasn't crossed my path enough for that. But it's one I keep seeing videos of and thinking, oh, I got to try, give that well, a try. I think you're going to get really into it because uh, if you ever watch the bluegrass flat picking competitions, it's like there's some serious <laughs> technique yeah. going on there. You know? Oh, they're awesome to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? That's really cool. Um, so back to kind of uh, teaching stuff, what would you say is your approach to teaching guitar? Do you have a kind of, well, firstly, do you follow any kind of grade syllabus? Um, and secondly, what is what is the thing that you feel like you bring to students that you're teaching? Mm, so, so I've occasionally followed grade syllabus only when there's a definite use for it. So some people love having a date to get something ready by. Mm -hmm. That extra bit of pressure and so on can get people kind of putting the work in. Some people absolutely hate the idea of that. So it can be very good for some younger students who need that bit of a push, but it can equally be really off-putting going through great. So I'm, I'm very cautious with when that one's brought in. Mm -hmm. um, my approach is, I guess, like I was saying earlier, the, the understanding how the techniques work. So what I have a big thing of is not needing to trust your teacher. Now, I know there's a big side where you should have, of course, a good level of trust for the teacher, or they should have earned it is the best way of posting it. But if you always need to, in a sense, blindly trust what someone says, because that's what trust is, there's a level of faith blindness that goes into that, then you're not always sure. There's always a bit, a bit of doubt there. Like you go on YouTube, you see someone playing, 
the one I often get is people mentioning famous guitarists and saying, yeah, but that person doesn't do it. And then there's what you're saying, which they're trying to follow and trust, but then a lot of other things that kind of get questioning. That is a mental space to be in for a student learning isn't great. You want to be 100% sure of what you're doing and say, yeah, I'm putting my time into it because I know that's how it works. So what I do is I break down every reason behind the technique, how it works. As I was saying before, biomechanically, physically, the acoustics on the guitar, how the strings resonate, how the body works in the amplifying the sound. And by doing that, they no longer have to trust me. They understand how it works. It's like if you drop a ball and say, it's it's fallen, that's, how, that, you know, that's it. They don't need to look at you and go, I don't, well, what if someone else says it doesn't? It's like they, they see how it works. It's, it's all obvious enough and the reasoned enough so that not only everyone else's opinion has been taken out of the equation, but mine has as well. Because I put myself fully in that category. Like mine will become just another opinion. So that would be my main base approach is breaking down everything to take my own opinion out as well as everyone else's. Mm -hmm. That way there's no trusting. You can just put your energy in the right direction. Yeah. I've heard you talk about a kind of uh, science-based method before. And to me, it kind of um, reminds me a bit of how some coaches talk about athletics. Yep. You know, and it's, it's, it kind of, the guitar equivalent of that, if you like. And I think it's really interesting because I think it's something that, um, you know, I think to me coming from a non-classical background, uh, especially in the jazz world, which is um, kind of predominantly where I exist, uh, technique is kind of this, this sort of passed down folklore that yeah. you get, you get told. And, and it wasn't until I started teaching some, somebody ever even questioned and said, well, why should my thumb be here? And I sort yeah. of go, when you first start teaching, you have a moment where you kind of go, I don't really know. I think, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you first start and people start questioning things, even if you know it works, you suddenly start to realize actually how much of it you, you are also just following. What mm. I would say on that point on classical compared to the jazz area, classical technique has as many pitfalls as any other style mm. in that manner. You'll see some, a lot of players, for instance, their right hand finger picking with their wrist really high, big angle in the wrist. Mm. And this is one you'd see Segovia doing that kind of style. John Williams, I think, used to do that. He ended up having a, if I remember correctly, an operation on his wrist because of the issues that caused. So it comes with its sets of traditions that are also mm. can be quite detrimental technique wise. So I... I would definitely put like, wouldn't hold classical guitar up in saying it's better in that sense. One story along that quick story with that Julian Bream, one of the most famous classical guitarists, amazing player. He studied the trumpet at university. And the reason for that is he was told if he brought his guitar, his classical guitar anywhere close to the university, he'll be expelled. And this was, I think, in the early 50s. So as far as it being accepted as a classical instrument, it's new. Yeah. Most of the classical repertoire, if we're not looking at lute or those areas that have been brought into the guitar, 
it's been a fringe instrument to compose on. So mm. Paganini wrote far more for the guitar than he did the violin. But he's known as a violinist because there was no work as a guitarist. It was just for him, it's a side instrument. Most of the classical repertoire we know nowadays comes from kind of the 30s. So that's when um, like Tariga and people were starting to push up the repertoire in that sense. Things started to get commissioned for the classical guitar. And it only got accepted as a proper classical instrument, like in it was like the 60s or something. Mm. So shockingly new as an instrument. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. Yeah, because I guess it's sort of, I, I would think before that, guitar would probably be more associated with traditional music, you know, folk music, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So mm. it it would have been very much categorized in in that area, whereas then the like organ, harpsichord, violin, cello, those would be the instruments with a like few hundred year old tradition. It's got to be one of the only instruments where uh, there are sort of the, the Delta blues songs that I teach are probably older arrangements than most classical pieces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. electric guitar, was it 1927 or something when that started? Mm-hmm. So shockingly, you could almost consider if you forget lute music and that kind of thing, electric guitar started its kind of rise in popularity kind of before the classical guitar. Now, I know that's a very basic way of looking at it because yeah, yeah. there was classical guitar music written a fair bit before, then going back into lute and so on. But I'm thinking modern classical guitar in the way we know it today. Mm. That's really so, interesting. Yeah, because you never, you just don't really think about that kind of thing, do you? Which is so, one of the reasons why even in the classical guitar area, there are a lot of techniques that are that haven't really settled. They're not fully mm. understood. They are people watched someone like Segovia doing it. So they copied it and there isn't much of a questioning that's gone on. Mm. Whereas something like the violin, um, if you look at uh, Stradivari and Amati, his teacher, they were in like the 1600s. So there's a massive tradition of like developing technique in that sense. Yeah, and uh, yeah, probably as an instrument, we've got quite a long way to go because I think slide guitar is something that's also very similar. There's so many different techniques when it comes to slide yeah. guitar that it's very hard to say. I mean, even something as simple as which finger shall I wear the slide on? I don't really have an answer for that. You know, it's just, you've got to try it out and see, see how it yeah. goes. You know, the different um, materials for slides, like there yeah. a bunch of innovations in the like between finger ones, the jet slide you wear as a ring, like there's, that's all kind of slowly like, yeah. innovating. It's fascinating, isn't it? So I'm going to throw another question at you. And this is one that I actually get asked, I get asked a lot. And just having another guitar teacher here, I would love to know what your answer to this is. Um, so something I get asked by almost everybody I teach is they tell me they want to become a better improviser. Yep. Um, the question normally is some, something like, how do I know what to play over what? Yeah. How do I know what scales to play over what chords? So if I was a student and I came to you just with that question, how do I know what scale to play over what chords? What would your kind of approach be into explaining that? Cause it's a difficult thing to kind of put into words in a way, isn't it? So this is where I take a very different approach to the modern approach in, in guitar with this. So 
a lot of the modern approach would say, so when you hear this chord, this is the scale you can play over the top of it. These are how some of the inversions work, that, that side of it. I try my best to avoid that simply because I think the, the theory in the analyzing the notes can be great to get an understanding of it, but it's, I think it's the wrong process in improvising as in that's not naturally where your mind goes so what i like to do is get a map of the notes on the neck for the key and if it's blues of course you can show some of the blue notes and so on that are going to be outside of that then if you start with a pentatonic scale any note's going to fit over any of the chords because it's essentially taken away the two semitones difficult in the scale yeah so you don't have the notes that might slightly clash now if you think of the chord if you take the chord it's got notes one three five in the chord if you add note two it's normally considered note nine in the chord you've got an add nine chord it's fine uh if you add a four into it it's not technically a suspension because you've still got three in the chord but you've got the four we know that fits in a chord same with the sevens any of the notes that aren't in the chord you know the sound as an extended chord so the way i tend to approach improvising is a lot more focusing on the harmony and the dissonance now people love harmony because it's safe actually they don't love harmony it's safe so they head towards harmony but no one actually really enjoys the harmony. People enjoy the dissonance. Mm. And you can see this by if you improvise and if you keep giving harmony, if you keep landing on the note in the chord, it sounds really boring. This is why people love blues music. It not only focuses on the dissonance in the scale, it pushes extra notes that add an extra dissonance that you wouldn't find in the scale. And it's that dissonance that often floats around before resolving mm -hmm. that really is kind of what gives you goosebumps in music. But when you're improvising, instantly you want it to be safe. You instantly try and head towards the harmony and then people get bored with it, as in mm -hmm. playing it, listening to it, everything. So how I tend to approach improvising is with that. Make sure someone someone's ear starts to recognize the difference and anytime a note hits harmony they feel comfortable moving straight off it onto a dissonance then we'll pick somewhere to give the harmony you have to at some point so then you'd say at the end of every say 16 bar phrase you can then give a bit of harmony like it kind of cadences that phrase but if you're going to keep playing maybe give that harmony a bit off the beat or something that will still keep the ear kind of not thinking up oh, it's finished mm. the analogy i kind of use with that is a cat playing with some yarn so tons of people have done this when they, they're a kid they've got a string piece of yarn and there's a cat that wants to jump on it so you pull it back like an inch and the cat jumps forward on it and as it jumps you pull it back a tiny bit more and it looks up it pauses and jumps on it as you pull it back again and the energy you can get in that like it's this amazing game for the cat so cats don't like yarn 
as in they don't want it. They're not collectors of yarn. If you give a cat the piece of yarn, it's not interested. Mm -hmm. It's only interested in the dissonance, in that slight move away, that kind of chase with it. It also loses interest if you just take the yarn away. It looks at you and goes, oh, okay, and it just wanders off. So that, to me, is how improvising works. You're in a constant state of drawing someone's ear. Are you pulling the harmony away or are you giving it back? And on a basic technical level, if, you've, if one note is harmony, one note up, one note down is dissonant. So if you hit one, you go, ah, no, bit too much harmony. I want to do that, you know, pull the yarn a bit away, then just move straight off it onto just next note. That's it. You're onto dissonance. For me, that approach is more around someone's ear guiding the character of the music, and then you don't have to even know what, how it fits in with the chord. That's really interesting. I think it's actually quite similar to the way that I approach it. I approach uh, improvising quite rhythmically. Yeah. I think because I started off uh, predominantly playing bass, I think the thing that the thing that I try and get away from is people feeling like they have to learn all the scales and yeah. then they'll just magically know how to apply them. And I think people get so bogged down on what notes they're playing, they forget that... Um, melody is just one half of it you know if you play it without any rhythm it's also gonna it's not gonna sound good yeah um so you know if you can find three notes and just play like you said just play you know resolving and then creating dissonance even with just a few notes but to keep it interesting with the rhythm that's something that's i think quite lost on people when they first start approaching improvising this sort of state i think the the feeling i get from a lot of the guys i teach is that they think step one is learn a bunch of scales and really, I think there's so many steps you need to get before you kind of learn a bunch of scales. Yeah. And just like you were saying, just learning to create, you know, what, what is improvisation? What, are you, what, are you, what is having a musical conversation? Effectively, it is just, it's a back and forth, isn't it? Yeah. And you can enhance your vocabulary later, but you first need to de develop, you know, your basic conversational skills, if you like. Oh, definitely. And on that with like scales, I often find scales you learn a pattern that goes across the neck in some form and your focus there is the finger numbers and the pattern rather than the sound of the note and often the standard scale patterns miss out tons of notes on on the neck so what i quite like to do is for instance, you can put up a neck chart and you can just start circling notes that'll work in no, no pattern because now the ear has to drive it. Now you think, oh, do I go up a little bit or do I draw, draw it down? Like, how do I play with this? When you're following a scale, your hand just goes to the next note in the scale. It completely bypasses you thinking, well, do I want to go up? Or do I want to go down? Do I, where do I want to take this? Because your hand gets stuck in a pattern. This is something that I see in a lot of metal guitarists. They love their patterns, make it faster, all of that. And then they modulate these sweet picking up and down. Now, awesome fun to do. But it very quickly gets not very musical. Mm. Then you get in this 
um, trap of, well, I have to now play faster than the next person. Because if you slow it down, it's very little interest. It's just an arpeggio pattern going up and down. There's no reason behind it other than up and down and then the chord changes. So it has its place. Awesome fun to do. It's impressive, but it's it struggles to get musical in the way you'd want with improvising. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that I find um, people say to me quite often is that they want to kind of move beyond the pentatonics and things like that. And I think um, <clears throat> whilst, of course, it's good to learn a bunch of new scales and add new kind of um, improvisational vocabulary to what you do. Yeah. There's kind of an element of, you know, you don't need to, you, what, you, what you're really trying to break out of is the shape that you've got yourself stuck into, isn't it? It's the, yeah. it's the every time I say, let's do an improvisation, a 12 bar blues in A, the first thing you do is play a note A and it's fret yeah. five on the top string because that's where your scale pattern starts, you know? <laughs> and I'm sure uh, you and I have both seen that a lot and everyone listening's probably, you know, at least uh, done that a few times. And I guess it's, I mean, one of the things that um, I did at university when we were studying some jazz was we'd just do free playing. And it's, yeah. it takes a long time to kind of get into kind of having the confidence to just free play. And I think that's something that seems to be kind of lost, certainly in the blues world, because it, it kind of revolves around these very specific um, few different chord structures, you know, talking about uh, 12 bar, 16 bar, uh, eight bar blues all these kind of uh, traditional chord structures and it's such an interesting exercise have you ever have you done much free playing do you get to do much so it's something i've done if, um i use it often as just a mode of practicing i guess so a lot of how i like to learn like let's say a, a scale um or a key is a better better way of putting it is is a bit like that so it's it's almost you can put on a backing track or a song that's in that key just as a to have something there and then the learning of it is just that exploring around the sounds explore up and down the neck and each time you find that there's an area you've kind of missed out a bit you can head more into that that area on the guitar so that over a more regimented way of for instance learning the neck or playing a song in that key can i think be an amazing way of just getting getting your hand and your ear into the into the guitar neck mm. yeah it's interesting so kind of following on from that how and how and when do you think you kind of started to hear or find your voice with playing guitar because it's quite a difficult concept to kind of get your head around the idea of that you, you're finding your voice, you're playing. But has that clicked for you? And, and if so, when? Oh, so. So that is for me, that's the clearest when I'm writing music, because when I'm playing, of course, with classical music, you just you play the notes off the page quite relatively directly. You've got your own interpretation to a point, but a lot of what's happening in the harmony kind of also dictates a lot of the interpretation. So you've got the 10% over the top. With improvising, 
you do get a bit more of that, but then that's very reflective of whatever you're improvising over. So someone's playing a more jazzy background, you start to mirror that. If someone's doing a more rock thing, you start to mirror that. So even in that, your voice doesn't really come out. When you start to compose on the instrument solo, for me, that's when you can really start to see where your ear lands. And for me, that's an, it's a kind of a weird combination because I got to like some of the slightly contemporary classical music. It's not the very like overly weird contemporary stuff, like mm-hmm. four minutes, 22 of silence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that kind of thing. But when they use some of the, some of the scales, like the 12 tone, um, like atonal type of music or where, mm-hmm. so when you, when you've played around with that, it's a bit weird at first, but after a bunch of songs, when you can then start to take the atonal element, but then have it related to a key. Kind then of Philip, you get Philip Glass kind of mentality, I guess. Not as minimalist. So he likes his minimalist patterns that just kind of repeat and develop. But what you start to head towards is more of that kind of bluesy, jazzy style. So you've got these notes that are outside the key. You've got the chromatic movements that you'd find in some of the jazz, more jazz, like it's heavier jazz stuff. You've got some of the chords that are hard to define. You know, they're just between two different chords. Mm -hmm. So that with a bit of a kind of contemporary classical side, it kind of lands between there because that kind of blues countryside, some awesome rhythms and so on that the classical side's missing. You don't get much of a groove and rhythm in that. So I love adding that from the more kind of bluesy side, or even some of the like gypsy jazz side, that's some yeah, awesome stuff there. Something that I um, <clears throat> spent a little while studying over the last sort of five years was gypsy jazz. And I yeah. think it kind of, uh, I mean, obviously everyone that studies gypsy jazz listens to Django Reinhardt because it's kind of, yeah. you know, <laughs> you have to. Um, and I think, his his lead playing to me is he's kind of, he's just the Miles Davis of the guitar to me. He's kind of you know he he paints yeah with, with his guitar playing, and I think I I don't listen to Django Reinhardt and think I wonder what scale he's playing. You just listen to it and you listen to the melody, and it's yeah. really interesting because when you when you try and emulate it, when you learn that stuff, you learn it as melodies rather than um there's a lot of rock guitar stuff you kind of go okay this is just a e minor pentatonic solo oh and he's adding and you know this every now and again um it's a more, lot more formulated in that sense with yeah as say, it is mm. yeah so yeah Django Reinhardt's one of my absolute favorite players for that reason really yeah yeah, yeah and that's where actually another one different style but similar idea is actually Joe Satriani mm. When you listen to some of his solos, you can tell that he's thought of it off the guitar, like surfing with the alien. Mm-hmm. Like you, when you when you listen to it, if you hum it, da 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 da, like it just rolls off the tongue in a way that you would think up something in your head and go, "Oh, that's got a bit of a groove to it. Let's see mm-hmm. if I can figure it out on the guitar." So yeah. he's one of the modern players who 
has that that side where you can you can hear that musical side over which finger is going to be easier to use which is great because it means that the music you're creating isn't limited in any way by your level yeah isn't you know by your level of playing which actually means that it's applicable at all levels you know anybody could listen you put on a backing track with some songs and start singing a guitar solo and then see if you can work it out yeah you know that's a great way of kind of working backwards from the end result you want you know that way rather than trying to figure out oh i want it to sound like that i wonder what scale i need to learn you know well that's where someone like um john mayer Mm. he is amazing at this i i i get people very annoyed when i say don't copy his technique so um i always say don't copy his technique but what you should definitely notice is his the groove the rhythm the idea of the music is in his body it's not through his fingers Mm. that's continuing whether he's playing the guitar or not then the guitar how i describe it is it's almost like a window into what that would sound like if it had notes on it so but then if you take away the guitar the whole the groove the movement everything like that it's in his in his body in his movements in his voice and the guitar is just like christmas decorations on the tree like just is a window into that extra little side Mm. and he does that amazingly where most people are led by their fingers so you'll see this i guess a lot with your students where someone would be you get them to try and get the rhythm more accurate so you might say okay tap your foot nod your head something to feel where the rhythm is while you play so then when they play a harder section they'll pause their foot and wait for the finger to be ready then they'll tap their foot with their finger because the rhythm their movement is following their fingers Mm. rather than the other way around and it's really hard to get your body into a rhythm and have your fingers 100 following that by just joining in with what's already going on so yeah he's an amazing example of that which is Mm. why he's got such a like enticing groove in what he plays yeah absolutely that's really interesting so one more question i think following on kind of we're talking finding your voice on guitar and uh, how to develop as an improviser especially um how important do you think learning theory is and what is your approach to kind of instilling it oh that's that's one that a lot of people um kind of question like how that how that fits in i think learning theory I think it's essential to understanding music. So if you don't know kind of what what notes build up the chords, kind of how the relations between the intervals work, the the deeper you go into that, the more appreciation you get for it and you start to hear it more. So it's a bit like um, wine tasting. When you're young, you get given wine, you just go, it could be a thousand pound bottle it could be four pound discount you know from local supermarket you don't know it it, it's wine someone says it's dry and you say no it's it's liquid it's it's obviously wet so then if you then go and do some wine tasting whatever it is and they start describing the different flavors how the tannins work all of this stuff you start to go oh actually yeah i do kind of notice that now 
if you go through that, like with music theory, if you go through all of that, it's not that, like we we're saying earlier, it's not that you always have to analyze everything you do. So when you're playing something, you have to think of the chord, you have to think of exactly the interval and the relation. You can actually forget all of that because it's tuned your ear into it. Mm. You'll start to hear things and appreciate, for instance, dissonances and harmonies and um, extended chords and so on in a way that previously you you just wouldn't have got. It just wouldn't have made any sense. So I think without theory, you never end up with that appreciation. But people take theory too far and they base everything they do on the analytical approach in the theory. And there are a lot of areas of theory that I think actually people um, just have backwards. Uh, there's some of them that I think, so here's one, you can see what, what you think of this one. Um, what's stand, standard teaching that a dominant seven chord is one, three, five, flat seven. I look at that and I think, that's technically right in the result of the notes you get. But what a dominant seven means is, as you know with this, the dominant chord is the fifth chord in the scale. So you're not, if you're talking about C dominant seven, you don't have a flat seven because you're not in the key of C. Mm. You go one, three, five, seven in a different key. You're in the key of F. It's already got the B flat. So there are lots of areas of theory that people pick up from the internet. They learn a lot of things just get propagated and they, they become like kind of general knowledge on theory that's actually a bit in, inaccurate. It's, it's incorrect in a subtle way, but enough to actually shift your understanding of it. That's interesting, though, because what you just said, I guess that makes a big difference to if you were taking that approach of I'm going to improvise over this set of chords. If you're perceiving that as a one, three, five, flat seven chord, that's actually quite different, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's really whereas if you think of the chord and say, hang on, I'm in a different key. Mm. So am I taking a flat seven in this key or have I modulated into a different key? And then that as you you get your head around that i guess more fluently so it, it takes less time of course at first you know I go one three five i you know you lose count between the numbers as that gets more fluent then those subtle differences make a major difference to like your ear appreciating how the cadences are, are moving mm. yeah that's really interesting so what's your kind of approach when it comes to teaching early stages theory like where do you start so I like to keep theory completely involved in the music. Mm. So when you see in a song that's getting played, a chord turns up, you can then give a, a, an initial breakdown of the chord. Rather than, for instance, saying today we're doing theory and we're doing chords in theory. So I take quite a practical approach. When it appears in the music, we can then try and understand it. Mm -hmm. But very few people, I find, enjoy the theory part if it's not directly applicable to the music they're playing. Unless you're quite advanced and it becomes literally like a Sudoku puzzle of how you can get the notes working. Mm -hmm. But 
Other than that, I try and keep it 100% related to what's being played and practical, like instantly practical. Yeah, I think that's the best way. I mean, for me, it's always been that uh, I have to show the why the theory is important, you know, yeah. like, rather than just telling you this is this, you know, they, people need to understand why you want to know it and they want to have, they need to have a motivation to learn it. I think it's always been one of my issues with the fact that they have a separate grade five theory exam, for example. Yeah. You know, the theory should be intrinsically linked to all of the music you're playing because it is, you know, everything that you're playing has theory in it. It's not this separate entity that you have to study alongside it. Yeah. And it's just a perspective on it. So mm. you could take a piece of music and talk about it in a very artistic way, like pushing harder on the dissonances, just like the shapes back and forth, like molding the sound like clay in it and not mention a single bit of theory. Or you could turn around and you could say, well, that is the seventh note in the scale and it's called the leading note specifically because it wants to push up into like resolving into the root. Now that's entirely theory, but it could be exactly the same thing that you're playing. You could mm. say, well, this is like, listen to the distance, push on the distance. Where is it going? Like, you don't even need to use the word leading note. Like what, what, where do you imagine that going? Oh, like it sounds like it's going in this direction. Well, let's, let's lead, let's push it there. Let's see what happens with it. It's exactly the same understanding. It's what you do with the notes. What do the notes mean is the base of that, but it's two completely different methods of exploration in that. And they're both completely valid in it, mm. but it just, it depends on the person, like largely on the person and also how many perspectives you can get to understand the same thing just from many different angles. Yeah. That's really interesting. Something I, uh, I listened to, recently was a there's another podcast called um i don't know what i forget what it's called <laughs> but it's a it's a podcast run by a guitar teacher who uh works with the incorporated society of musicians and they quite often talk to music teachers um, yeah. predominantly around the uk and they had a teacher on there who teaches traditional indian music and he talks about how uh when kids learn music in india they learn effectively different modes yeah. And they can all basically wrote, sing the modes. And so for them, you know, music theory, they don't have this massive uphill climb because they have a base understanding of it because it's present in the music that they learn when they start learning music. Mm. And I think my parents live in Greece and actually I just got back from Greece yesterday. So I quite often play with musicians whenever I'm out there and they have a similar thing with time signatures. You know, yeah. they have, they have dancers in Greek music that are in, you know, nine, eight, seven, eight, and those are time signatures that everyone intrinsically knows. They're almost, you know, they're kind of within people. And you don't have this kind of like, oh my God, something not in 4-4. Four, four. That's, that's really difficult. Yeah. That, must be, that must be prog music, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's math rock. It has to be. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And it's just really interesting to see how, you know, um, how, how the basis of kind of Western contemporary music, uh, when we learn it, has such a massive impact on our attitude towards music theory going forward. I think. Yeah. And that kind of brings us back to what we're saying with, so with the Greek music that when you 
when you know the, not even the numbers of them, but when you know the feeling of the subdivisions. Mm-hmm. So basic when you get a lot in Western music as well, it's just three, three, two instead of your standard four beats. You get that da 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 And even if you don't count it out, everyone can clap along with it. Mm. So everyone can feel the rhythm, get a bit of the like the groove from that rhythm. And in Western music, they try and stop you from feeling the movement of it. You're not allowed to get involved in in the music because, of course, this very general point. This is, of course, like as general as you can get across an yeah. entire like hemisphere. But <laughs> but the general idea is you count out the 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 bar where the beats are it's a very logical where's the downbeat where's the upbeat what where's are the, the groupings one? but very few people can get up and for instance dance that rhythm or actually like step with it move with it anything like that that's kind of pushed out of the music in the same way that melodies people don't tend to sing the melody but I always think if you can sing the melody you're playing, you'll get an inflection in it that is essential to get like to expressing the melody that is hard to kind of get through your fingers. Mm. So when you're just playing it on the guitar, that doesn't necessarily come as naturally. But if you're moving or like dancing with the rhythm and then if you sing the melody, you get like an experience of it that you don't tend to get on the instrument. But then you can start to incorporate that into into how you're playing. And that just adds this extra level to it. And people can hear it because if you do that, you know you're doing it well because your audience will start moving with the music as they start joining in with that. You could be playing the exact right notes and people just won't do that. Here's an interesting one from performing. So a little bit off topic, but kind of on topic you'll see you'll see where i'm going with this a little tangent the speed you play at subtly different speeds like really subtly different will completely change how someone moves with the music so the speed people like to clap at is about that that's where people clap at but then the speed that someone for instance would be like waving side to side slightly slower like very slightly slower and like there are a few different kind of cliched movements people would would do in a concert, like rock gig or something where, not classical, you're not allowed to move, but um, <laughs> don't clap between movements. You know, there's always like in the middle of a sonata, one person gives that one awkward clap and everyone glares at them. But, um, <laughs> Whereas so, jazz is you've got to clap after every solo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then if you take the piece of music and then, for instance, subtly slow it down, or subtly speed it up, you can get an audience clapping along with it and then waving instead of clapping or tapping their foot instead of that. And how you can lead an audience with these slight changes in the, in how you're playing it is an amazing thing to play around with. Because mm. if you can't get someone doing that, and it's hard, it's like really hard to actually get the hang of this. If you can't do that, it means it's not in your playing. And this is kind of one of those cold, hard truth moments in it where you perform and they don't start clapping along. You go, ah, that was me. That wasn't the audience atmosphere. That was, that was me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's an interesting one to play around yeah, that's with. that's really interesting. 
probably lost on a lot of modern players uh, who are playing with pre-sequence backing tracks. <laughs> Imagine yeah. that's a lot harder to do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh well, that's it's been so interesting chatting to you, Dylan. Um, do you want to just throw a little bit out there about what it is you do and how people can find you and reach you, especially with the? Uh, I mean, I you I will give your Instagram shout out to anybody who will listen because I really think it's it's a something worth following. Yes. So. The Instagram is Asena Guitar, so A-S-E-N-A, Asena Guitar. And I've started developing out of just teaching in person, although I absolutely love that. What I've been heading towards is an idea that was kind of bugging me that a lot of people who want to play the guitar, they've maybe grown up in like the 70s, 80s, when they've got all the guitar-heavy bands, and... Going to a lesson means often the consistency of the same slot every week. A lot of people are busy, families, that's hard to commit to. Driving an hour to a driving an hour back, it's, it's the entire evening every week. So that means you're committing to the teacher, not to yourself. So what I'm, what I'm steering towards, I'm kind of setting up the systems for this, is... Anyone who wants to learn the guitar, who is learning the guitar, whether they're going out to a business conference, they're in a hotel somewhere, they've got a few hours to kill. The idea I'm heading towards is having, being a guitar mentor for any of those times that someone can pick up the guitar. So of course that leads it more online and I'm developing kind of the systems where I can offer the most value for that. Part of the idea in that is that someone doesn't just have an hour a week, but they will have, for instance, several different live streams they can come to, other teachers who can come in from different, like, different areas, different expertise. So it's this constant running course that people can come and join in with. So whenever they are picking up the guitar, it's there as, as access to it. Sounds really cool. Is that going to take place over at your website? It is. So that's, it's getting developed. It's either going to be on, on a website like that, or I'm aiming towards having it as an app. Mm, that sounds really cool. So it's not released yet, but that's kind of the, the, the line it's heading down. So definitely uh, stay tuned for for that one. Yes, watch this space. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. But Dylan, for is now, there, is there on the Instagram else? side, I'm going mm. to be putting out just lots of basically just free value. So yeah. lessons, I'm going to be doing live streams on there, Q&As. So while that's, that's going, hop on, ask questions, go for it. Fantastic. All right. Great chatting to you, Dylan. That's it for this week. Catch everybody next week. Are you fully fretboard confident? Do you know where the notes are, how they connect and how they move up and down the strings? My latest book, The Triad Method, is all about using simple three note shapes to completely unlock the fretboard. This book is absolutely full of light bulb moments that are going to demystify the neck three notes at a time. I've compiled a huge number of diagrams, shapes and exercises based on over 10 years of teaching this stuff to make it as simple as possible. Download The Triad Method and see for yourself today. Link is in the description below.